Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. We will be going through the whole passage, um, but first let's me, let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, help us to put aside all the distractions that we have in our minds. We pray that through hearing your word preached today, we'll be able to deepen our understanding of who your son is. Help us to see the ways that you encourage us when we're experiencing suffering. And may we continue to look forward to the wonderful hope that you have given us in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. I want you all to think for a moment about the first image of Jesus that comes to your mind. Don't think about it too hard. Just make sure that you have the picture in your head. What does Jesus look like to you? Did you imagine this guy? A very religious and influential man who walked the earth thousands of years ago. Or maybe you thought of this guy who lives in heaven, a faraway figure who's high up in the clouds. Or maybe it was one of these. According to Google, they're, they're all images of Jesus. While the physical appearance of Jesus isn't important, how we view him as a person and as our king really is. We live in a culture that bombards us with images of who Jesus is and what he is like. But to understand the true image of Jesus, we must instead look to God's word. All throughout the Gospels of Mark and the rest of the Bible, we get glimpses of Jesus, which together forms his real identity. Um, but for today, we'll just focus on what Mark reveals to us in the second part of chapter 5. So we pick up the narrative as Jesus comes to shore off a boat, straight into the crowd. You can almost picture the salty spray, the babble of conversation, even the excitement and the, the pointing of fingers as the boat comes close to shore. It's no doubt the crowd would have been pushing and shoving to get the best view of Jesus as he stepped onto land. Clearly news of Jesus had reached the people of the area. And many probably came with a similar question to the one we have. Who is this guy? The passage doesn't keep us waiting and we introduce the Jairus in verse 22. It reads, Then one of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus... He fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. What's your reaction if you were in the crowd? Could we be rubbing our hands together in anticipation? Perfect, a chance to finally test the rumors about this man. Or maybe we'd be a bit confused about how Jairus came to Jesus. Being a synagogue leader, Jairus was an important man, and given this is within walking distance of his house, 
Most people in the crowd would have known him or had at least been taught by him. For such an important guy to fall at the feet of Jesus in this culture suggested that Jairus saw him as a sort of god or king. This would have been both confusing and exciting. Surely Jairus was overreacting. But even so, it was certainly worth following him to find out. As the crowd begins to trail behind Jesus, you can almost hear the questions that were being whispered amongst the people. Is Jesus as great as Jairus thinks? Is what we've heard about him actually true? And Mark, like any good storyteller, just leaves his audience hanging, left in the suspense of the moment. Now we do have to wait to find out if Jesus could save the daughter or not, because on the way to Jairus' home, we're introduced by a woman. Verse 25 reveals a lot about the situation of this woman. She suffered from a condition that made her bleed continuously. This would have no doubt been tremendously painful. But what's even worse is the social side of the condition. This illness made her continuously unclean. And this meant she couldn't even touch someone without polluting them. It was probably a bit like the 1.5 meter rule, but a hundred times worse. It was, it was cruel for a number of reasons. First, it only applied to her. It was totally okay for the rest of the community to hug and interact and eat together. Others could work for loved ones and worship in the temple of their God. But she was forbidden. She was forced to sit away from others, shunned, excluded, and rejected, probably even separated from her own family. What made things even worse was, given the age expectancy of the time, she'd probably been experiencing this for most of her adult life. Having grown up with the hopes and, and dreams like all of us, whether it had been marriage, children, or simply participation in normal day-to-day activities, none of this would have been possible for her. She was excluded from the whole of society, left to be isolated for the rest of her days. I don't know how she kept going, but her desperation to be healed is clearly expressed in the following few verses. For years she'd searched for a cure, hoping that someone could heal her. She'd spent everything on this search, but the doctors she'd seen had only made matters worse. This woman was now living in poverty, broken and apart from all that she loved. Last year back in New South Wales, I'd experienced a two-month lockdown. Even though I was with my family, it was still a difficult time to endure. Day after day, I was forced out of my daily routine, kept away from my friends, my school, my relatives and my church. Even the recent lockdowns in Queensland were a struggle to get through. But this woman was isolated for more than just a few days. For 12 whole years, she was in complete isolation. Can you feel the loneliness? But as we read on in verse 27 to 29, we find that she still has one hope remaining. She's adamant by simply touching Jesus' clothes, she'll be made well. You can picture her desperately making her way through the crowd, afraid of being recognized, worried that someone will notice who she is. But despite this fear, she's determined to get within arm's reach of this incredible man, the one she'd heard about. When she finally reaches for Jesus, she's healed instantly. The joy she would have felt, the look on her face would have been priceless. All these years of searching, and at last this man had healed her entirely. 
It almost feels like the crowd should have erupted in celebration. But no one notices the miracle. With the crowd pressing in around Jesus, everyone pushing and shoving and murmuring in conversation, it would have been nearly impossible for anyone to have witnessed what had happened. And yet Jesus, we see in verse 30, is aware. Immediately he turns about in the crowd and says, Who touched my clothes? It seems a little bit of a crazy question. I mean, Jesus probably has like 20 or 30 people squashed up against him, desperately trying to touch him. And yet he asks, Who touched me? Surely he didn't expect anyone to come forward. The whole crowd would have probably answered, Me, I I touched you. But as the woman comes forward, out of the mass of the crowd, everyone must have stood amazed. How did Jesus realize that someone had been healed by touching his clothes? It becomes clear that Jesus sees what no one else can. He knew what hadn't happened, what what had happened. The woman in the midst of her suffering was noticed by Jesus. In the crowd of hundreds of people, he turns and singles her out. But then we see that the woman fearfully comes before Jesus in verse 33. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Why did Jesus ask her to come forward? Was he going to rebuke her for what she'd done? Or maybe he was angry that she'd made him unclean. Or was he about to banish her from the rest from his presence, just like everyone else in her life? The answer is given in verse 34. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus doesn't shame or reject her. No, he listens to the whole truth and then treats her like family. Jesus didn't dismiss her struggles as if they were insignificant. He brings her in and genuinely listens to her story. Jesus, unlike the rest of the crowd, knew about what this woman had been going through and cared for her with compassion. For the first time in 12 years, this woman is comforted and welcomed in peace as a daughter and as someone who belongs. Jesus cared about her and was willing to listen to her in her suffering. Her faith in Jesus had allowed her to finally be free of rejection. It's amazing that Jesus took the time to listen to this woman, to to draw her in close, to show her compassion and send her away in peace. But this interaction had probably taken a a fair bit of time. Where did this story begin? If we go back back to verse 22 with Jairus, we see that he just said in front of everyone that his daughter was at the point of death. Had Jesus' interaction with the woman cost Jairus' daughter her life? Had Jesus forgotten why he'd been walking in that direction? Had he simply got sidetracked at the expense of this little girl's life? Jairus, the poor father, was probably anxiously shifting his weight from foot to foot, silently pleading that Jesus keep moving. Had he been too slow in getting to Jesus? Was this all going to be in vain? And as everyone's attention is focused on the woman, he receives the news no father wants to hear. Your daughter is dead. His 12-year-old daughter, 
his precious baby, gone forever. What little hope he had left was lost. She was gone, and, and there was no way of getting her back. Death had taken her beyond reach of even the most miraculous of healers. Why trouble Jesus any further? Surely there isn't anything he can do. But once more, Jesus surprises us. Unlike the rest of the crowd, whose attention is only on the woman, Jesus was fully aware of Jairus' suffering. He turns away from the woman and, and says to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus, like with the woman, sees Jairus in his suffering and moves toward him and offers words of comfort. There was nothing Jairus could do for his daughter anymore. He would have felt completely and utterly helpless. But Jesus encourages him that there's still hope. Even though to Jairus, Jesus had been too slow to, as he stood and spoke to the bleeding woman, Jesus is still willing to, to personally support him in his suffering, leaving the crowd behind to walk with him back to the house. The small group arrives on the scene to be confronted by a funeral. The air is full of, of weeping and wailing. Most of the relatives are already gathered together, everyone crippled by pain and sorrow, mourning, mourning the untimely death of this little one, so precious and so young. And yet Jesus once again responds in a way that seems to confuse those around him. He says to everyone, the child is not dead, but asleep. Now it's, it's very clear the daughter was dead. People People in the first century were far more accustomed to seeing death than we are today. And the fact that they laugh at Jesus' statement only supports the certainty of the diagnosis. So why does Jesus say this? Was he downplaying the grief of these people, insensitively saying this girl was only sleeping when clearly she'd passed away? He hasn't even seen the girl with his own eyes. How would he know? Verse 41 answers this for us. Jesus said to her, Talitha kum. This phrase, spoken in the girl's own language, is a genuine sign of true compassion. Jesus isn't being insensitive. It's quite the opposite. Talitha kum is, is an Aramaic term of endearment, and although it can literally mean little girl, it conceptually means something like when we say little lamb. Even the fact that Jesus takes her by the hand highlights his concern and his care for her. Jesus is gentle, comforting and loving with his words and his actions, fully aware of how precious this little girl's life is. And in verse 42, he takes her by the hand and brings her from death back to life. The joy that Jairus and his wife would have felt when they saw their daughter alive again. <laughs> Not in their wildest dreams would they have expected to feel joyful when Jesus came too late to keep their daughter alive. But through the wonderful, amazing, sovereign plan of God, Jesus gives them what they desired in a way far beyond their own comprehension. Yes, Jesus had been too late. Yes, their daughter had died. But with Jesus, death was not the end, but only a temporary reality. As we come to the end of this passage, I, I want to point out a few key ideas that the text highlights for us. The real Jesus of the Bible 
isn't a distant man or, or outdated like the first few images we looked at. Instead, we see he's a man who notices our suffering and is moved to come near to us in our hurt. He's a God who's aware of our needs, even when we feel like no one else can see us. And he doesn't downplay what we're going through either, as if we just need to get over it and, and move on. Now he stands by our side and walks alongside us as we experience those moments of isolation, rejection, grief and hurt. Jesus is our very near God, one who's present and patient, who genuinely feels for us as we go through hard times. And he's a God full of care and compassion who's willing to put aside the time to personally listen and comfort us when we come to him moved by his compassion to support us in our suffering. Even when no one else gets what we're going through, and when other people don't have the time to listen, we can be assured that Jesus is there with us, willing and waiting to hear the whole story. But this isn't all that Jesus is to us in our suffering. Because of his, because of his power over sickness and death, we can look to him as our true and sure hope. While he doesn't always work in the ways we want or expect him to, we can be fully assured that he's working for us according to his caring and compassionate will. Later on in Mark's Gospel, we see Jesus' full power displayed in his ultimate victory over death on the cross. When he was executed on that day, he suffered terrible isolation and rejection by the very people he came to care for. He was scorned and laughed at as an outcast and a reject. No one was there to comfort him. He even had to be separated from his very own father, forsaken by the God he knew and loved. Jesus didn't deserve any of that punishment. But he endured it so that we can have an eternal hope. His triumph assures us that one day we'll no longer be rejected. One day we won't have to live as outcasts who are isolated and alone. One day we can, through faith in what he's done for us, be accepted into an eternal rest, free from all the suffering that we experience in our lives today. Through Jesus, we'll be able to enter into a, a relationship with God who knows us in our every struggle, who cares for us when nobody else does. Jesus isn't just a guy in the clouds, but the powerful God of the universe who has authority even over death itself. In Jesus, suffering is only temporary. Jesus gives us a hope that we can cling to when the brokenness of this world overwhelms us. He gives us a hand to hold and a promise to hope in. Just like this little girl, Jesus is able to rescue us from ab the absoluteness of death. But unlike this girl, who Jesus brought back into a world where suffering still exists, we can, be, we can rest assured that he will bring us into an eternal kingdom free of brokenness and fear and suffering and hardship. Jesus gives us certainty that whatever we're struggling through won't last forever. Let's pray. Father, you know that we live in a broken world full of rejection, 
isolation and suffering. You know the struggles and the trials that each one of us is going through right now. Comfort us as we suffer. Listen to us as we cry out to you. Walk alongside us as we persevere. Encourage us to keep looking on towards eternity. And we pray this in in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who has made all this possible. Amen.